and welcome to Dog Tales, conversations with the pet dog trainers of Europe. If you're a dog lover who appreciates the companionship, playfulness and amazing instincts of dogs, this podcast is for you. You'll gain knowledge about how dogs communicate and see the world, which will deepen and enhance your relationship with them. I'm Serena Kriegbaum Young. And I'm Harriet Alexander. Together, we'll be your hosts as we chat to canine experts across the globe. We are dog lovers, dog teachers, human teachers, and members of the Pet Dog Trainers of Europe, or PDTE. The PDTE is a worldwide community of dog professionals who want to build a better and more empathetic world for dogs and the humans. Visit pdte.eu to learn more. Today we are, talk, we are going to talk about a, to, a big topic in the dog world, food. Not just in the dog world, I think in the human world as well. Um, and to help us talk about this, we've invited Helen Moore, who is a canine wellness coach and co-owner of Wholesome Canine, a health and wellness space for dogs located in Toronto, Canada. She spent the last decade working with and studying dogs in various capacities, as a dog walker, a pet sitter, nutrition consultant and trainer. Helen is passionate about helping people achieve optimal health and increased longevity in their pets through proper diet, activity and life skills. Her studies in nutrition coupled with learning from some of the renowned names in the dog world, such as Dori Drugas, Anlil Kwam and Julia Robertson, help her to view dogs from a whole body perspective. So Helen, welcome to Dog Tales and thank you so much for your time today. Thank you so much for having me. Delighted to so, be here. Oh, great. Welcome. Um, so Helen, today, as Serena mentioned, we're going to talk to you about canine nutrition. And as we were even kind of talking about this topic, um, Serena and I sort of noted that it can be a really complex one and it can also oh, be a controversial one as well. So just to start with, in your opinion, why do you think the subject of what we feed our dogs can trigger such a strong and kind of often emotional response in people? Yes, that's a bit of an understatement. <laughs> um, honestly, from where I see it, I think a lot of the kind of conflict that people have within themselves is that they're hearing so many different things from different people. And when people take a dog home, they really want to do the best they can by that dog and make good decisions for it. But sometimes what they're hearing is conflicting with what their veterinary professional may be telling them. Um, and I'm sure we'll touch on that later because not all veterinary professionals um, look at nutrition in a kind of a, a broad sense. Very much it's taught from a one size fits all model. And that tends to be a more commercial kind of dry food based. Whereas now we know people are really f uh, moving towards a more whole food, fresh based diet because the evidence and people talking about that as a better way to keep our dogs healthy is growing and growing. So I think there's definitely people are torn between what they're hearing and what their, their professionals are telling them. And it's hard for them then to, to make a, a proper decision mm, yeah 
Yeah, and how did you start into this in the, in this field? How did you become interested in the topic of nutrition? Well, I, I actually came, moved to Canada in 2008 to study holistic nutrition, but for people. So I spent nearly two years doing that. And then after that, we had some work placements and I, I worked with various people in different capacities. But then I started to panic because I was like, I don't like this. I don't like working <laughs> with people because... Everybody just wanted something really fast, like a quick fix, a supplement that was going to help them lose weight or a supplement that was going to fix X, Y, and Z, whatever the problem was. But they weren't willing to kind of do the work or the practice or cut out the things that were necessary or make certain changes. So I was really kind of dismayed as to, okay, I've upended my life and moved to this country and quit my job and my house and now I don't even know why I did it but uh, in that time I got a dog and when Seamus arrived he was my first dog as an adult as a grown-up I didn't know anything about dog nutrition at that point so I literally just went to the closest grocery store and picked up a bag of something but he was really sick not sick but he he couldn't have a proper bowel movement. He literally had diarrhea for weeks. And I went through the channels with my vet at the time. We did a prescription food diet from there. We also did medications. Uh, but at the end of three weeks, absolutely nothing had changed. He was still not able to have a proper bowel movement. So that was when I started thinking, I was like, okay, well, I don't imagine we're that different like dogs and humans. There's obviously differences, but when it comes down to it and having studied like holistic nutrition for close to two years, I was like, I've got to be able to figure this out. So I started to do a little research myself, which in itself was terrifying because there's so much information out there, but I leaned towards the raw food diet to try just, because I liked what I read, it made sense to me just in terms of dogs and their digestion and what species appropriate. So I was still really clueless, but I went out and I bought lean ground chicken and a can of pumpkin and a jar of kefir, which is fermented yogurt for those that aren't familiar. And I fed it to him. And in within, within 12 hours, he had a solid poop. And I was like, that's it. That's all I needed to know. But I went back, of course, to see my vet and she just was not happy with me. And she was like, you can't feed them this. And I said, okay, why can't I? And her only answer was, it's dangerous. And I said, but why is it dangerous? Like, what's the, but there was no more information. There was nothing she could give me. So my thinking on on it was okay we did it your way for close to a month absolutely nothing changed I tried this something changed in less than a day so I decided just to get a new vet uh, and that in itself was really challenging because I'm not sure how it is in other parts of the world but here we still have a lot of reluctance to look at diets that are not within the commercial mm. feed mm. model so I think I've probably had five vets in the last 10 years because yeah. 
I haven't been able to find one. And it's not that I want someone to agree with me. I just want to be able to have a conversation about yeah. food, what I feed them, supplements, different things. And mm-hmm. it took me a long time to find that person. And we just actually switched to a new vet this year. And Seamus mm-hmm. is 10. So that's okay. how long it's taken for us to get get uh, to this point. Yeah. But yeah. Yeah. Incredible. And it so how long ago was this? When did you get your dog who had those problems? 2010. Okay. So 10 years. Okay. Mm-hmm. So that kind of started me down the road with him and we, I got him back to full health. He was doing really great. Mm-hmm. And I sort of started walking some dogs at that point, but the neighbor got a dog. And when her dog arrived, same thing, terrible mm-hmm. problems. And she asked if I would help her dog. And once we got her dog on track, then it just kind of snowballed from there. And as I was taking on dog walking clients, I was really trying to educate them then about the food because I had done a lot more work in terms of learning specifically about dogs and canine digestion and nutrition. So I decided at that point to switch my focus because dogs mm-hmm. weren't complaining. They would eat <laughs> and you would see results really fast. Yeah. So I was hooked. I was like, I'm in. That's good. That's yeah. Good. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's pretty satisfying when you get get the reward that quickly or, or mm-hmm. see a change really quick. Yeah, yeah for sure. sure. Um, and you may, I mean, you mentioned let's, if we sort of go back almost to the, the beginning of nutrition, I guess you mentioned that there are obviously differences between um, canine digestion and ours and, and mm-hmm. some things are similar. So I just wondered if you could maybe talk a little bit about what are those differences? How does canine digestion kind of differ from our own? Mm-hmm. So not massively, like really, we're very, very similar, but a few of the little things, like obviously if we look at the dentition of a dog there, if we just simply go by their teeth, it gives us a window into what they should be eating. So they have those big canines, which means they can like stick their teeth into things. And then they have the, they can rip flesh and they have those big giant molars at the back that are good for crushing so it makes sense that they can crush right through bone their digestive tract is a lot shorter than ours so when they eat the time it takes for food to be broken down and eliminate or passed through the system and eliminated is much shorter than it would be in us Uh, also their stomach acid is much much higher so they are able to kill off uh like all sorts of bacteria and pathogens which would make sense if we think of some of the disgusting things that I know my dogs like to pick up when they're out and about and sometimes I wince and think oh god that's not going to be good coming out but (laughs) they manage they manage to uh to eat it and enjoy it without too much trouble Mm. so they would be the main ones I guess just shorter digestive tract the the dentition and then the Mm -hmm. stomach acid okay Mm -hmm. interesting yeah so really not that big of a difference like you said we can really kind of um, see that it's very similar right very similar I guess one of the big things would be is the how we break down food and how we use okay. fuel. So as humans, our main source of fuel is carbohydrates, the mm. glucose that we get from that. But with dogs, it would be uh, fat and protein. Mm. That would be their main source of fuel. Mm. So mm. 
we'll yeah. get into that later if we mm -hmm. look at a lot of the foods that they're being given right now they are very carbohydrate and starch heavy mm -hmm. which can cause okay. problems you know yeah okay and just to talk a little bit about the pet food industry and a hot topic of course oh, but maybe yeah. a little bit of the different types of commercial food that's available right now is there some sort of like an overview of what's out there right now that you for sure mm -hmm. so i think the majority of people in north america anyway are still very much uh feed a dry food what we would call kibble uh, and then canned food would be next but The pet food industry is a multi-billion dollar industry. And if we look at the most popular brands, there's probably only about five major players in the pet food industry. And then they own so many different arms and so many different brands. So you may have one pet food manufacturer that could have anything between 20 and 50 different brands under their umbrella. But when you look at who these main players are, that gives you a window into what we're dealing with. So Mars and Nestle are, uh, are very big players and they're basically candy makers. So that's what I always try and remind mm -hmm. people. I'm like, okay, you, ha you have to think about it from their side. Like they make a food product and then it would make perfect sense. Well, there's lots of stuff left over. Like, what do we do with, different mm -hmm. things you know oh we'll make a dog food yeah. but in my view when we think about these massive companies i like to remind people that they're not driven by health goals mm. they're not the the wellness of your animal is not their concern mm. the bottom line and profits for shareholders mm. is what a lot of these companies are very interested in so mm. we got to we got to consider that when we're thinking about yeah. what it is we want to feed them so the good thing is though that Fresh diets, home-cooked diets, raw food diets are really, really gaining more and more popularity now. Like they're not nothing new, but they're more mainstream. And the good, the also the other great thing is that we are starting to get a lot of research to back this up now. Mm -hmm. And that was one of the things I used to come up against with a lot when people were debating the merits of raw feeding versus commercial feeding they'd say to me oh but there's no science and there's no research which is true there was very little because small small batch companies they don't have the money to produce yeah. these studies to see how these foods are working mm. the big commercial companies have plenty of money to be running studies but Now what you see is there was a great study out of Helsinki uh, looking at the different the effects of different types of feeding on dogs and the home cooked and the raw food really did produce best results. So uh, I'll actually I'll try and find that link for mm -hmm. you and I can great. share it yeah, uh, afterwards so people can see that. Perfect. But mm -hmm. yeah, still still the majority of people though are feeding what would be called a, a commercial yeah. dry food yeah i think it's the same here i think the trend is going towards more fresh food or you know cooked food also but mostly when i get new customers it's usually dry food so i don't have to really guess so much what yeah. they're feeding yeah yeah mm. and and the dry dry food it's 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 just programming really right mm. Mm. Uh, a little interesting thing somebody told me was that 
uh, I'm sure you've heard this too. People still say it, and this will tell you how powerful marketing can be. Oh, people food is dangerous for your dog. So mm -hmm. many people say that to me. So I discovered that that came about because I think it was in the 70s, a lot of these giant pet food manufacturers got together and they pooled their money mm -hmm. and they put it into this huge marketing campaign to convince people that human food was dangerous for their dogs. And it was so effective because we still hear that today and it's mm. 2020. So when people say that to me, I always remind them, I'm like, it's not people food or human food. It's just food. Yeah, yeah exactly. <laughs> and if we look at a lot of what people are feeding on a day-to-day -day basis, that's not actually food. That would be termed feed. It's animal mm. feed. Mm, if we okay. look at what it really comes down to. Yeah, it's true. Mm -hmm. Yeah. I remember what you're saying, but like when I grew up in the seventies and we had dogs at home, there was no dry food around then. It came later in, yes. in Austria, right? So it was always just food that you bought at the butcher, usually meat and vegetables. And you just and leftovers. Yeah. Oh, leftovers. We used, also, to, yeah. we used to all, we had a big bowl that sat on the side of our yeah. sink. And anytime we finished dinner, all the plates were scraped yeah. into that. But why dry food became very prevalent was, uh, I think it goes back to the war. People used to feed the tin food, but because they needed the tins to send food and rations to troops, mm -hmm. they needed to find another way to feed animals. So how dry food came about was somebody discovered that you could modify the machinery that was used to make breakfast cereal slightly uh, to make this hard little pellet for dogs. And that's when dog food started to go into mass production. Okay, interesting. Mm -hmm. yeah. <laughs> and then the marketing, obviously, campaigns came along with it. I think I've seen some ads from the 50s and they really went at the housewives, you know, like, oh, you're so busy during your day, you yes. know, cooking and cleaning and doing everything for everyone. How cool would it be if you could just open this bag and... Yeah, yeah it into a bowl yes. and mm. you don't even have to think about it so mm, they yeah. really went hard on the whole uh marketing side yeah, of things yeah, to convince sure. people that this was a better way to go it's powerful mm. yeah but what came along with that then was the increase that we started to see in chronic illness in dogs yeah. too yeah mm -hmm. because their lifespan has dropped massively since yeah. Yeah. even back in the 70s which kind of um actually leads me nicely into my next question, Helen, in that this may sound like an obvious question, but I think it's actually really an important one, which is, is why is good nutrition important for our dogs? Well, just like us, as I said, we're very similar. And we know for ourselves that in order to stay healthy, we need to try and consume whole fresh foods, foods that are nutrient dense, foods that are going to feed ourselves, uh, and just promote overall health. And it's the exact same for them. Their bodies are going to respond to the fuel that we give them. So if we look, if we take a little look just at a kibble product, so a lot of these dry products are very heavy in terms of carbohydrates and starches, as we mentioned. Now dogs, they can use those, but they don't digest them or use them the way we do. So a lot of the times, if you're eating a lot of carbohydrates and it's not being burned off and not being used, once it breaks down to its simplest form, it's sugar. 
And we all know what sugar can do to a body. It's, we're hearing an awful lot about how sugar is now the silent killer, right? It's the number one drug because sugar feeds inflammation, it feeds uh, cancer, it feeds yeast. It also turns into fat cells if they're, if they're not burning it off. So if we look at, yeah, if we look at the fuel we're putting into them, we're going to get a reflection of what they're eating every single day. And the thing about it is you won't, you won't see it for a while. Like dogs can eat kibble for years before the real problems start to show. But the truth is we're shaving years off their life and probably looking at, you know, things like chronic illness, like arthritis or kidney disease, all these things like they're so prevalent right now. And I think a lot mm. of it has to do with, uh, nutrition as the foundation obviously there's other factors lifestyle factors but nutrition mm. is definitely the key just like it is for us yeah. you are what you eat yeah. right it just all plays together at the end of the day right it's like you said lifestyle food everything's part of it right it's all just one for sure mm. and if we think of what our dogs are up against on a daily basis in terms of toxins that they're taking yeah. into their body you know because they're they're touching the ground there's environmental toxins also we have to think about the things that we use in our homes like cleaning products personal care products yeah. they're all they're susceptible to all those so if if we look at their uh, everyday life they're under attack from a lot of things so in order to help them deal with those things feeding them a fresh food diet really helps them clear those things out of their body and make sure that they are not as damaging uh, mm. as they potentially could be mm -hmm. i think um another thing that and we've talked about a bit before on the podcast is that dogs can't tell us necessarily mm. you know what what they're always feeling and what how uncomfortable they might be so if we're yes. eating something that's obviously making us feel quite rubbish we might realize yeah. that and start to think okay that doesn't feel great but with dogs it's so much harder to tell to yes tell you really you really today. have to be kind of tuned in to them to to know like yeah. it's not like you can notice things always obvious. like sluggish or they might be a little cranky because yeah. The thing is, when you're eating a lot of starch and carbohydrate, it's just like you get with us. They get those blood sugar rushes, big spikes followed by big crashes. Mm -hmm. And that affects mood and behavior. Mm -hmm. yeah. And it's definitely something I think is overlooked when we say in the training world is that we very much look at a behavior and we try and... I don't know, suppress the behavior, I guess, or change the mm. behavior. But it's very hard for people to look at a dog and go, oh, well, maybe they're not absorbing nutrients or maybe they're, you know, hangry or. Yeah, so for sure. it, it's, it's a tough one to spot. You really have to know what you're looking for, I guess, in the dog. Yeah, mm. I think it's mm -hmm. a really good point. Hardly anybody, I don't really know many trainers who will actually say, well, let's look at nutrition if if training is not going well let's say or something like this right so. for sure because mm. it's 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 tunnel vision on the behavior mm. right exactly. Mm. exactly very much so yeah. and i've seen it so much like what a what a change in diet can do people will comment that their dogs have really like relaxed and calmed down yeah. and their mm. their mood is just better and it, it makes sense because yeah. their blood sugar is stabilized if you yeah. feed them 
something that their body sense. can actually use. Mm, mm. Mm -hmm. Good. So let's um, talk about um, the issues that you might see if a dog doesn't have good food, doesn't have appropriate diets. And you've already mentioned a few, but maybe let's go a little bit more into um, detail about what are some sort of problems. So one of the big ones, I guess you would see is like malabsorption issues. So uh, uh, with, with a dry food, they're probably only absorbing about 30% of the nutrients that are in there, which is pretty low. So if they are not absorbing nutrients from their food, that essentially leaves them deficient in certain areas. So that can lead to so many different things because obviously every day we need vitamins, minerals, antioxidants to keep us healthy. And if we're not getting that, that's going to start causing problems all over the body. So things to look out for if you're looking for absorption issues is stool quality, obviously like what's coming out of them. Is it loose? Is there a lot of it? What most people comment on the most when they switch their dogs from a dry commercial food to a fresh food is uh, how much less comes out of them. Like their poops are so small and they, they're always worried about that. It's like, oh my God, he's barely pooping or it's really tiny. And I'm like, that's good. That means they're using everything. That means they're absorbing all the mm. things they need and the waste that coming out is only a small amount. Whereas I think we've been conditioned to think that dogs have these massive, stinky, <laughs> disgusting bowel <laughs> movements every day. Yeah. And I'm like, that, that's not right. That part's mm. not right. And mm. um, so, yeah, malabsorption, just keep an eye out for what's coming out of them. Also, I think just general energy levels and mood and behavior. Uh, I'll give you a good example. A few years ago, when I was still doing pet sitting, I looked after a 10 month old golden Labrador, which still to this day, I don't know why I said yes to that because he was just <laughs> off the charts. But I noticed he was eating a veterinary brand food that was specific for golden retrievers, yes. which I found fascinating. I'm like, oh, wow, now we can get right down to the what a specific dog needs in their food which I think is just crazy but he was eating this dry food and within 15 or 20 minutes of eating he was like a kid on a sugar high like he would literally be running around my living room and like pulling things down and clothes and he would just jump and hump me non-stop like I don't know what's going on with this guy so I spoke to the owners and I just said to them I was like I have a sneaking suspicion that the food is causing like a massive sugar spike and this is why he's acting out this way like do you mind if I try a little experiment is it okay if I feed him what my dogs eat and he said sure and within two days all that craziness had just totally disappeared so in my head, I was like, that had to be it. Like he's eating massive amounts of sugar. He's spiking, having a little loony fit, and then he would just crash. Yeah, yeah, so yeah. after three days of just, I switched him, both of them, my guys were eating raw at the time. So I switched mm -hmm. him onto that. And just the difference in him mm, was amazing. massive. Mm. And I think if we look at that, 
a dog of that age and we think of people who have young dogs and they're experiencing all these like oh my dog's crazy and they're doing this Mm -hmm. and they're doing that a huge amount of it could be because of what they're eating every day not just because they're young and they're crazy yeah yeah it just adds to their craziness yes for sure yeah just like kids right or humans who eat a ton of sugar Mm. Mm. But it also reminded me of when you were talking about what comes out of the dog in, uh, in Ayurveda. I study a lot of Ayurveda nutrition. Yeah, me too. They, they don't say you, you are what you eat. They say you are what you digest, right? Yes, yeah, that's sorry. actually, yeah, yeah, that's very true. You are what you digest. Mm. So if, we, if we're seeing dogs who are consistently having these disgusting movements, we really need to stop and think this is it's not right. It's not good for them. Yeah. And I, I had a client once whose dog pretty much just had loose stools all the time. And every time mm-hmm. I'd would, I would try and say something, they'd be like, oh, well, you know, the breeder said it's fine or yeah. she's always been like that. I'm mm-hmm. like, but that's not acceptable. If this is one of your children, you would probably go see somebody about it. Yeah, but yeah. it seems to be accepted yeah. that yeah. This, is how, this is the way it is for yeah. dogs. And very often it's the breeder says, uh, the, I hear that often as an answer, but the breeder told me. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah the breeder told me or so-and-so told me. And I'm like, okay, <laughs> <laughs> let me know how that works out. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. I think the biggest, one of the biggest things I noticed years ago when I changed my dog onto a more appropriate diet was um, the difference in the smell of the coat. Mm, he yes. had this not great smelling coat and it just wasn't, it always smelled a little bit, I don't know, stale almost. And then suddenly so sweet, such a like yes. really inoffensive, non-smelling. Yeah. That was a really dramatic change. They, should, very they quick. shouldn't smell. And also that's another one, like not just the poops, but there seems to be some sort of acceptance that dogs are smelly and they scratch mm. a lot. Yeah, yeah. That's what I noticed too. Oh, the dogs, you know, and I'm like, no, mm-hmm. you shouldn't, you shouldn't smell a dog as soon as you come into someone's house. Like that's, that's a that's a warning or a little sign that something yeah and i think the 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 coat what harry just mentioned the smell but just the the the, the texture and texture but the way mm. it feels i guess if the yes. hair itself it changes so quickly for we sure it becomes so lush and healthy right it's so much softer mm. also yeah. yeah people are very surprised when they meet my dogs because they're well i've cattle dog and yeah. whatever Seamus happens to be but they <laughs> when they touch them they always their eyes and they're like oh oh my yeah. goodness and they're always surprised because they think they expect them to be coarse and yeah. kind of their yeah. fur to be like I don't know hard or something guess, but yeah. these mm. guys are lush and yeah, yeah. People, that's always how we go into our intro oh how do you get their coats so mm-hmm. nice and i'm like well have you got five hours <laughs> yeah exactly <laughs> you'll be sorry you are, isn't it? Perfect. <laughs> yeah, that's great and so i mean you've talked a bit about obviously the, the problems with poor nutrition and some of the sort of aspects of it but what does good nutrition look like and what should owners be kind of looking for when they come to select what they feed their dogs okay well number one i always say to people you have to choose something that you're comfortable with don't do something just because everyone tells you you should it has to fit with your lifestyle too and i just want to say to everyone who's listening like i'm not saying kibble is the devil and you shouldn't feed it uh there if if that's what you are able to feed uh that's great and there's ways that you can really increase the nutrition in that bowl so maybe we'll start there first because 
it's not always possible for people to feed fresher diets. They may not have access. It could be a cost factor. So if you just, if you just try and think of feeding them as much food as possible and variety. So if you are feeding a dry food, that's okay, but try and boost it. And the way you can do that is by adding in fresh food whenever you can. So if you're a meat eater, keep a little bit of meat or fish for them. Uh, the staples that I always get people to add into foods, what, no matter what they're feeding, is organic kefir that we mentioned earlier, I think just before we started. That's a fermented dairy yogurt, but it's loaded with probiotics. I've never met a dog who's refused to eat kefir. They just love it. And my guys have been eating it literally every day since the day I got them. So that's a great way to boost it because the other thing with eating a uh, like a highly processed food like a kibble is that it wipes out the gut microbiome so all that good bacteria that feeds your immune system and also is connected to the brain processed foods just as it does for us wipes out that so kefir is amazing to kind of help the gut keep the populations of bacteria balanced and um, like tin sardines are another amazing addition you got to make sure that they're in water only but they contain a lot of essential fatty acids like omega-3 which is very important for brain health for skin for joint lubrication all those sort of things if you eat vegetables like just toss in a little bit of that like variety is very uh, much the key to a good healthy gut and that's when i'm talking to people about food i'm like that's where we need to focus we're we're trying to feed the the gut essentially because that is the number one thing in when we talk about health if if your gut is not healthy nothing else is going to be healthy so again if you if you want to feed kibble or you need to feed kibble by all means do so but add different things to it because also think of kibble it's highly processed but it's not a live food it's 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 there's nothing in there nothing live in there so if you can add bits of what you're eating in that's going to make a massive difference in terms of um uh, their digestion and their health uh so then the other options you would have would be like a home cooked diet so that's becoming very popular now the only thing you need to remember is if you're deciding to cook for your dog, you do need help from a professional because the cooking process, the heat will damage nutrients and will kind of change things. So you need to make sure that you're supplementing uh, to ensure that they're getting the nutrients that may have been lost during the cooking process. But there's lots of great resources out there. Um, what I'll do after this is I can just send you a list of different books if you want to mm -hmm. link them. Right. Yeah. Um, so home cooked is great because you can control portions. You know exactly what's going into the bowl every day. Uh, and you know the quality of the, the ingredients that you're giving them. And then raw would be the other option. So I'm not sure where you guys, how it is where you guys are, but we are lucky that we have a lot of, commercial uh raw companies now 
which mm. is good and bad. It's good because the demand is there. It's bad in that some of them are popping up and they're not doing their due diligence and things are not always balanced as they should be. Uh, again, with raw, if you're deciding to do it yourself, you can do that, but it can be difficult because you need to ensure that they're getting a certain amount of muscle meat, bone and organ. The, the general ratio is 80% muscle meat, 10% bone, 10% organ, or some people will do 80% meat, 10% bone, 5% organ and 5% fruit and vegetables. So these are all things you have to kind of be aware of when you're feeding. And that's why I just go with a commercial product because we've sourced one that has all their measurements correct. And it just takes a lot of the guesswork out of it for you. Because I tried to do it myself at the beginning, but I found that I was just traveling all over the city, trying to get different things. And you're always in your mind trying to work out, oh, is this balanced? So then I just gave up. I found a good, I found a good company and now that's, that's all taken care of. Mm. Um, so you can also mix, like you could do some cooked, you could do a little kibble. Like mm -hmm. I want to emphasize there's no one size fits all. And through our business at Wholesome Canine, we don't tell people that this is the only way you want to feed because dogs, just like us, are very unique. They're very different. Every single dog, even if they're from the same litter, the same family, have very specific nutrient requirements. So it's very important to know what our dog needs. And those requirements change over time too. Like even in the first two years, they go through those different growth stages and within as they enter into each one their nutrient requirements change because they're growing and developing and the same then when you go to the other end of the spectrum like when you're hitting the senior years they have very specific nutrient requirements so that's that's another reason why this one bag of food for all life stages doesn't apply because things are changing all the time and if you're not changing their nutrients with that there it's going to end up causing them uh, problems yeah 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 i think it's true i think like you said you're lucky if you have a a lot of choices where you live of course in the city mm -hmm. um, i can think i think we have a lot of uh, not a lot but there's been quite a few new businesses that that opened that are selling um raw food now yeah but it's all frozen it's frozen food yes yeah 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 and uh the the brands we all we sell are all come frozen yeah okay so it's handy. You just take out what you need to frost yeah. it. But it's important to do your research with these companies. Yeah. And don't be afraid to pick up the phone and ask questions because yeah. that gives you a window into their business model. If they're not willing to answer questions about things, don't feed it because mm. you want a company that, that will tell you what they're doing and stands by what they're doing because yeah. it's it's not a regulated industry unfortunately like anyone can just up and decide tomorrow they're going to start producing a food it yeah. doesn't mean they know what they're doing but the good companies will have spent the money to get an expert to make sure that everything is complete and unbalanced yeah yeah and that's what you want to look for because like we we've seen it uh, here in Toronto, like we've had customers through the door who have been buying foods from some places where the fat content was way off. And these dogs ended up very sick with pancreatitis. Okay. It cost them thousands of dollars to, you know, get this treated. And then that can be an issue for the rest of their lives. Mm. Mm. 
So due diligence mm -hmm. when you're sourcing out these companies mm -hmm. is, mm -hmm. is very important. Okay. And how about the, I mean, everybody knows there are some sort of foods that are dangerous for dogs. Um, mm. Could you talk a little bit about besides chocolate and raisins, which most people are pretty much aware of right now, what other foods are, are particularly bad or maybe not just dangerous, but just bad for them? So onions are another one. Grapes, obviously, because they're in the raisin family. You will hear things about garlic and avocado. And I just want to touch on that because mm. in the holistic world, like I feed garlic during flea and tick season garlic can be toxic but they need to eat it in massive amounts for it to be toxic so a small bit of garlic is not going to harm your dog and actually it can work really effectively in terms of um, being a repellent for fleas and ticks so during the season i will uh not every day because sometimes i forget but i will crush a clove of garlic and add it into each of their bowls during flea and tick season as just an added uh, preventative against that. I also feed avocado and people will say, oh, avocado is dangerous, but the avocado flesh itself is not dangerous. It's the pit or the skin that can be dangerous. So the avocado itself contains some really good fats. So I will throw in a tablespoon of avocado every now and again. Okay. Uh, but other things that are toxic, I can't think. I think grapes, raisins, chocolate, onions, they're the main one. Chewing gum with xylitol. Yeah. Not yeah. that they're ever going to be eating that, but just so we know if we yeah. have it around, mm -hmm. that can be... Somebody that. mentioned macadamia nuts to me. Mom. Yes, actually, you're really? right. Yeah. Macadamia okay. nuts are. Uh, but other nuts, I'll often, if I'm eating walnuts or almonds or something, I'll give them a little yeah. bit, you yeah. know. But yeah, they would, they would be the main offenders. I yeah. Guess. Yeah, but but variety. That's I just really encourage people all the time. I'm like variety, and not just not just for the nutrient content, uh, but just because they'd be bored. Like that's that was the thing mm. for me. Like yeah. when I would have dogs come to stay, or I would go and stay at someone's house, and I'd have to feed them just this dry brown nugget in a bowl twice yeah. a day and I, it would just make me sad because yeah. Yeah. and then I would say to the people when I come home I'd be like what's your favorite dinner and <laughs> say lasagna I'd be like do you think it'd be your favorite if you ate it for breakfast and dinner every day of the week for your entire life and they're like no <laughs> but you know for for enrichment too stimulate yeah. the mm. senses like yeah, how definitely. boring to have to yeah. eat the same thing every single day so Probably. just yeah. spice it up a little Totally. Yeah. Well, and you said before that, you know, like you were saying that they're all, they're all different and their needs are different, but they also have preferences, you know, yes. I think they have things that they love and things that they don't. And, yeah. um, and it's I fun. It's to interesting see. to find out what they are. Yeah. yeah. Mm -hmm. Or as Kirsty liked when Kirsty was doing her enrichment talk, the tasting platter, that's so fun yeah. to yeah. see yes. what they go for first or what they won't eat at all. Yeah. Yeah. Like when I'm cooking, they're all, they sit in the kitchen and I'm always handing them different bits and pieces. Yeah. Just yeah, to see. At least to let them smell what, everything. Yeah. Yes. Don't want to eat to it, but smell, smell everything. But yeah. to eat, like Seamus one day was wanted. He, I was cutting Brussels sprouts, and yeah. I thought, oh, here, have one. I didn't think sure. he'd even. Oh, he brought it off and just crunched that thing oh, right did, through. Wow. And they love bro <laughs> They love broccoli stalks. Yeah. He ate a kale stalk one day, so it's like an experiment. I'm like, yeah. let's see what it's you're going to eat today, but it's yeah. fascinating what yeah. they will. He'll yeah. pretty much eat anything except celery. 
no okay no to salary <laughs> but kiki's a little she's a little more picky about what yeah. she eats yeah. but he just i have noticed with mine off. they're becoming a bit pickier now that they're older when they, yeah. were, they would really so quickly just eat everything and now it's more like oh let me check it out a little bit more and i'm not so sure and i taste a little yeah. bit yeah, yeah you see that a lot we have yeah. a lot of senior customers and yeah. it it gets more difficult as they get up in mm. years to find yeah. things that they will eat because the, what they eat one day they may not eat it the next day exactly. so it's like it's always uh, it's always fun trying to yeah. spice things up for them uh, bone broth is is what I find really helpful in those cases. Like if you can make a bone broth and just pour it over the food, that can entice them because it's it's kind of fatty smelling and mm-hmm. delicious. Yeah, good idea. And so good for them. Speaking of bones, um, so bones and whether you should feed them are often something that people have a lot of thoughts and opinions on and there's a lot of debate around feeding bones to dogs so just wondered what your take on this was so i am very much uh, on the team bone let's go <laughs> because as we all know chewing is a very natural thing for them it's very important for their not only their brain health but for oral health and it it's it's, it's a good way to keep their teeth clean so what you want to think of when you're talking about bones is there's recreational bones or there's edible bones. So a recreational bone would be something like a marrow bone or a beef neck bone where they can access the marrow or eat the little bits of meat and then gnaw on the bone, but they're not going to eat the entire bone and digest the whole thing. It's just more for recreation. An edible bone would be things like if you think chicken necks, turkey necks, duck necks, uh, even chicken legs, lamb necks, where the bones are softer and they're going to eat the entire thing. So that would be like a meal, essentially. So I try to feed bones at least, I'm a, I've been a bit bad lately, but at least three times a week. Uh, so like we would do maybe a turkey neck one night we would do something last night Seamus ate some little chicken carcasses uh kangaroo tails i hate to say that because it just (laughs) i'm vegan too which makes this whole thing very uncomfortable at times but i understand that this is what they need but yeah we get kangaroo tails from one of our suppliers and they will just spend hours out there and it's a workout like it's honestly a workout for them they'll come in from eating the bones and it's like (gasps) and they're exhausted absolutely but their teeth are beautifully clean the bones are also really important as like a fiber source so Mm -hmm. when they're eating bone it helps to clear everything out it helps to express the anal glands so if Mm -hmm. there's any issues around there which is a common problem here for sure Mm -hmm. Uh, bones are a really good way because as they're eliminating it it puts pressure on the glands and helps get rid of all that deliciousness that's stored in there i think yeah you you need to pick appropriate bones for your dog though so if you have a small dog you're not going to be giving them massive like beef knuckles and things Mm -hmm. you want to you don't want big giant weight-bearing bones because they're way too hard and then you have the risk of maybe cracking a tooth or something mm-hmm. so like yeah 
chicken the necks are always really good mm -hmm. and chicken necks and turkey necks are are referred to as doggy dental floss because the little bits of cartilage get in between the teeth to help uh keep them clean mm -hmm. okay yeah so we have yes a, to bones yeah my uh my supplier um, the dogs the, the food store that's near me she has um, a lot of uh lamb bones so mm. we often feed lamb bones which our dogs the love necks? is it the neck no actually just mixed with the with the with the um cartilage wow. and everything on it Whoa, cool yeah, yeah. yeah. I, love that I gave seamus an entire sheep's head a few weeks ago <laughs> It, yeah, yeah. it was disgusting I'll be honest mm. but he <laughs> and it was more of an experiment to see what he would eat like yeah. because it was mm. literally a full head with the eye with everything yeah. in there and I thought he'll work on this for a while and then leave it I'm not joking I went out like three hours later and all I found was a little row of teeth really oh, wow Oh, I was ready to throw up, but he, ate <laughs> he had the best day ever. <laughs> the best day ever. It was like he was sitting there with the biggest yeah. smile on his face. But yeah, yeah. It's, you can find some interesting things for them. Mm, yeah, like there, yeah. there is a in the raw feeding world. There's two camps. There's the prey model feeders, and they believe that you should be feeding whole animals where possible. Like they would feed whole chickens and whole ducks because. Mm their thinking is that this is following their ancestral diet and they don't believe that they need fruits and vegetables and things so mm -hmm. if you join any of those groups it's like some of them are feeding roadkill and all sorts of crazy things oh, goodness. then yeah. you have the bark which is like biologically appropriate raw feeding or bones and raw food as it's called and that's more uh, ground products where you'll get the meat and the bone and organ and it's all ground yeah. into one and then you're adding different things into it so mm, yeah. oh. i i personally believe that the fruits and vegetables are good for them dogs don't actually have a nutritional requirement for carbohydrates mm -hmm. but they do get some benefit from them but it needs to be just a small part of their okay. diet so very important for fiber as we talked about also fiber is what you need to feed the bacteria that's what feeds your gut bacteria so mm -hmm. you'll hear the term probiotics but then prebiotics are what actually feeds the bacteria so it's important to have both yeah yeah okay mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. it is it is a difficult it's an interesting topic but there's so much to it yeah and, so uh, much mm, and it yeah. can sound overwhelming at the beginning but like anything it's something you just fall you get yeah. used to and it, yeah. it be it becomes second nature then mm -hmm. but just to see it in front of you like Seamus is 10 and a half this year and people can't believe it because mm -hmm. he just if you were to put him beside a 10 year old dog who'd had a commercially prepared diet its whole life like it's night and day those dogs mm. age faster their faces are very white like he, they look like older dogs whereas mm. he's like a young spry good big <laughs> guy <laughs> good. and when people say to me oh he's a senior i'm almost saying i'm like you know, there's nothing senior about it yeah yeah <laughs> that's nice so talking about all these choices that that you just mentioned also that people have when it comes to what we should feed our dogs and so on there's so many yeah. but of course this can be really really confusing for and overwhelming for a lot of people and sometimes they get very conflicting advice also like some people yes. say, you know 
So do you have any tips for people who are trying to make sense of all the information that's out there? There's just some simple things, maybe to straightforward things to follow. Uh, okay. So one of the things I think, again, let's talk dry food. If, if you want to feed dry food or that's all that's possible at the moment and you're trying to select a brand, try and find something that has a short ingredient list, which can be difficult. Uh, on the commercial bags, I don't think, I think people give up. They'll look at the ingredient list. They can't pronounce and all of the things on there. So they just don't bother. So look for something that's got a short ingredient list that has meat, like actual meat as the first ingredient, not a byproduct, not meal, not, you know, chicken fat or whatever, but actual meat. And then preservatives like because kibble is very susceptible to oxygen, they need to put preservatives in there to keep the shelf life. So it's going to last longer. But if you're trying to select a better brand, you will look for natural antioxidants like vitamin E, things like that. Uh, what else are you looking for? So the trick with reading pet food labels is they employ a tactic that's known as splitting. So because we've all been told, oh, meat's the first ingredients, that's great. But what you need to do is go down along the list because you will start to notice that they have corn, corn gluten meal, corn this, corn that, or rice bran, rice meal, rice gluten. What they do is they split up those things because it makes it look like there's less of it in there. Whereas if you were to bunch all that together, there's probably more corn or more rice in the food than there is meat. But because of this pro, uh, process of splitting, it makes it look like meat is the primary ingredient and the most, which is not actually the case in a lot of them. Um, also, if you're buying dry food, buy smaller bags and keep it in the freezer. Because here's something that people don't realize. I mentioned earlier how it's susceptible to oxygen. Commercial dry food, because it's a boring brown little pellet, essentially, when it's made, it's sprayed with fat. It's sprayed with a type of fat to make it more attractive and more palatable to the dog. But what happens is as soon as you open that bag and the oxygen hits the fat, it starts to break down and can become rancid. So if you're buying a giant, giant bag that's going to last you a long time, it may seem like a good idea, but by the time you get down towards the end of that bag, there's a good chance they could be eating rancid food and that's not gonna bode well for them in the long run. Okay. So if you can buy a smaller bag and store it in a freezer, that slows down that oxygenation process. So they'll be able to, uh, they'll be able to get more benefit out of it. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. So that's in terms of dry food. In terms of cooked or raw, it's a little more difficult because as I said, if you're going out to just do it on your own, it can be hard, but I will share some resources. Again, with the raw food companies, if you're trying to choose one, don't be afraid to reach out and ask them, mm -hmm. you know, what's their process? Mm -hmm. uh, you know, what's going into that where are they sourcing their ingredients different things like that have they used a professional nutritionist to make sure the food is balanced mm. so those would be the things yeah they're all great tips and i think um there's also lots of those sort of sites now where they do compare brands and kind of yes. talk a bit about them which i um, have often found quite yes useful pet food advisor is good oh, okay mm. yeah 
yeah pet food advisor rates them but again that's just dry foods so if, if you're yeah. looking for a resource for that that's that's a great one okay awesome and so your work um and your store as well focuses on a holistic view of dog care um, and health as you sort of described so i just wondered um to, to sort of finish up whether you could expand a bit on on why you've taken this approach and what that kind of means for dogs and owners i think having the background in nutrition and working with dogs over the years i began to appreciate that food has a massive effect on not just physical health but also mood and behavior and being in this city like toronto we're we have uh, so many rescue dogs and different dogs coming into the city and i just thought you know we need to be looking at more than just these uh, behaviors that we're being contacted about. We really wanted people to kind of step back and take a more holistic approach like they do with their own health and understand that there's many factors that go into raising a happy, confident and healthy dog. And it's not just them being obedient that's gonna lead to that. You know, we have to understand that a lot of dogs that we're seeing are under a huge amount of stress every day and food can be a major stressor for them food can cause as we talked about with commercial foods like you can you can have uh, like blood sugar spikes and crashes which can essentially put them uh, into a state of irritability or frustration and then when we see that people don't understand that it could, they don't relate it back to the food. So we really just want to help people understand that, you know, there are different pillars here. We need to address the nutrition side of it. We need to address the behavior side of it. And we just wanted to change the model a little bit mm. because mm -hmm. over the years of dog walking, I just saw the same program play out all the time. Like people get a puppy, they start to feed it a certain thing, they enroll it in puppy socialization mm. class, then they go through obedience one, obedience two, you know, all these things. And at the end of it, they don't have the dog that they wanted. So mm. we really wanted people to take a step back, look at the dog as a whole being, like what, what goes into, you know, raising a healthy, well-balanced, confident dog. Mm. And food obviously is key. Yeah. because we want to feed them the proper things so they grow and develop properly that their brain are getting nutrients and that's going to allow them to just feel better in general then also look at the types of things that they're doing like we are very much we very much bought into this what i would consider outdated model now that you know you get your dog and you straight away have to have it in training class and teach it how to sit and stay and do all those things. And I guess we wanted people to stop and ask, okay, well, why are, why are you doing this? Like, what is the benefit to the dog here? Yeah. Uh, and get them to question, are we doing this for us or are we doing this for a dog? Because mm -hmm. as we well know, just because your dog can sit and lay down and do tricks doesn't mean that they are living their best life. Like they're, it doesn't make them less stressed. It doesn't mm -hmm. make them happier. It doesn't make them confident. So mm -hmm. I guess we really wanted to kind of shift the model that we were seeing 
and just kind of redirect it in a new way to get people to stop and 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 consider all of the areas that go into uh mm. into raising these beautiful <laughs> creatures yeah totally. that was very long-winded it's okay it's <laughs> fine <laughs> No, it's a good, yeah, a good overview of bringing it all together. I think that's the whole point of this topic is it's it's about so much more than just what goes into that bowl. Yeah, yes, exactly. And I think that that's essentially it. We're asking people to just look at the bigger picture. Yeah, One of the main things that I teach nowadays with with the customers is about stress. Because one of the things I see so much is that every single dog I get is so stressed. So stressed. Mm. stressed And and It's how yeah. it starts, in my opinion. It's how it starts. It starts with food too, because food causes stress too if it's the wrong food. So yes, absolutely, mm-hmm. and and it feeds into like if they're experiencing stress and then the food is causing stress, it just builds and builds and mm-hmm. builds, right? And it becomes but that's, yeah. stress is yeah, that's definitely one of my areas of interest yeah. is yeah, educating people about stress. How do we get people to just stop for a minute and think? Yeah. Mm. Training is not the answer here. All you should be doing is yeah. watching and learning and getting to know. But people, when I say that, they're like, "What?" They think I'm yeah. some kind of hippie. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> no, it's true. It's the same here, actually. Yeah. It's the same. <laughs> but we're just trying to sh- shift the dialogue, I guess. Yeah. Change, mm. change, change the program from yeah. this yeah. raising this dog that and answers to these commands and things because essentially that makes us feel good we have a dog who Mm. does all these things that we tell it to do that feeds our ego does nothing for the dog right Mm. so we're just trying to get people to shift away from that a little bit and i'm not saying you don't train your dog but there's ways of teaching them good life skills and boundaries without damaging their bodies or mm. their brains in the process right yeah mm. and um what's your online um presence where can people find you online so wholesome canine is on facebook we're on instagram our website is wholesomecanine.ca so you can find us on there we have a whole blog page we offer different workshops which We've had some great response from PDT members to the ones recently. We did one with Dr. Jean Dodds and we did another one on flea and tick issues. So we're really excited to be doing those. Uh, but yeah, that's mainly where you find us. And yeah, as I said, if anyone has any questions, please yeah. reach out and uh, reach we'll out and ask. Because, yeah, yeah, perfect. We're happy, happy to help. Yeah, perfect. Thank you. You're more than welcome. <laughs> um, yeah, so thank you so so much, Helen, for joining us um, today. We've this is a, a topic that we actually asked um, some uh, members and friends recently what kind of things they want to hear about, and this was definitely a topic that people are very oh, interested cool. in. So we really okay. appreciate, yeah, that you took the time to chat to us and share your perspective. Just yep. to give a few things that I would say if people are looking for guiding lights in the nutrition world. Obviously, Dr. Jean Dodds is amazing but she is a pioneer in in the in the nutrition field also if you're in a, we have our own homegrown canadian rodney habib is really good mm. and he works with dr karen becker so they're definitely great to follow when it comes to nutrition and they're always producing content with the latest kind of research and studies so that's a that's that's definitely one to keep an eye on yeah so we hope that our listeners have been given lots to think about and reflect on 
Um, and as always, we'd love to hear from, from listeners about what they think. And thank you so much for listening to Dogtales. Tales.